This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're talking about It's a Wonderful Life. We did not do the George Scenario movie. We were talking about A Wonderful Life with that kind of as a backdrop uh, because everybody knows about that movie or knows about the message of the movie is that you're important, you were born with a purpose, and that I'd like to remind you how important you are. Wonderful Jesus is what makes a wonderful life. So we've talked about wonderful Jesus. This is what I've said about him. He's marvelous, astounding, admirable, unusually good, altogether different, extraordinary. Whether you know him personally or not, whether you know him mentally only as someone you read about or heard about, or if you know him as a friend, he is still unusually, extraordinarily different. Good. Awesome. Jesus, no one like Jesus. Nobody's ever claimed to be born like him. No one has ever proven to be born like him. No one has ever claimed they could cleanse the sins of the world by their death and their blood. No one has ever claimed that. No one ever predicted their own death their resurrection, and their return. No one has done that. Jesus is certainly different. The Bible's been written about him and all the books and magazines and everything about Jesus. He's amazing. He's extraordinary. He's awesome. All over the world, whether people know it or not, believe it or not, Christmas is all about, still, all about Jesus, even though in our nation we want to change it to the holidays and leave out the manger, leave out this and that. A lot of people are still leaving that in. And by the way, uh, Christmas does have the word Christ in it. We just don't say, let's celebrate mass. Doesn't sound too cool. Where are you going? I'm going to give Christmas. No, I'm going to give must gift. But it doesn't sound right. You have to keep the word. Everyone say Christ. You have to keep it in Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is marvelous. Now, Jesus does wonderful things. He causes wonderful, astonishing, unexpected, beyond normal things to happen. Unusual, miraculous things that seem impossible. How do people do it without God? I don't know. I don't know. How do people do it without an extra edge of hope, faith, What do you do when it's impossible and no one can help you? No parent, no friend, no boss, no counselor, no book, no... And you're at the dead end. You're at the very end of everything you thought would be possible. And then there's the cliff of impossible and you can do nothing about it. What do people do when there's no no one to trust, nowhere else to go? Well, that's unusually difficult. You might be in that category of someone who maybe has not totally surrendered your life or trusted your life to God. Or maybe you just have not thought about it. Maybe it's not a part of your world or your thinking. Maybe you haven't had enough reason to believe in God. Not enough need in your life. Not enough crisis or enough hope or help or something that you would encounter to say, I really need God. Or just a revelation of the scripture and how good God is that you might want that good life. Or if you believe in eternity. Everybody has to answer two questions. Do you believe there is a God? Well, if you don't believe that, you stop right there and just do life. That's your first question. 
Do you believe there is a God? If you answer, yes, I believe there is a God, then you go to question number two. Who is he? Then you have a smorgasbord of choices. You can study all the different religions. You can study all the different gods. You can study all the different philosophies. There's no better argument that's ever, ever been laid out than the argument that Jesus is God and the only God. Not one of the gods, the only God. There's no better proof, no better argument, no better evidence that's ever been produced for any God, for any person to believe in than the Bible and Christ. You can approach it from so many angles and you will end up having to face the question that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, then you have a third question you got to put in there. And that question is, what will I do about it? What will I do about it? If there is a God, yes, there's got to be a God. The universe, creation, duh. Okay, there's a God. Okay, who is the God? Narrow it down. You know, I really believe the Bible is right. Jesus Christ really died, rose from the dead, he's alive today, he's coming back again. I do believe that there's something about Christianity that's worthy of me and my mind and my research to attach myself to and think, you know what, I really think I can put my trust in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was born of a virgin. The whole documentation of Christ himself. Every year they go through it on the news and all the different documentaries on uh, Christ and the virgin birth. And, and some of them are so interesting because they have to come down to the facts to say there's a lot of facts that actually point you in the direction that there's evidence that this man was really born of a virgin, he was really God, claimed to be God, and you have hundreds of people that saw him after he died on the resurrection. You know, there's a lot of evidence here, people. You've got to look at it. So once you look at it, once you move yourself to the place, thinking, you know what? There is a God. Jesus is the face of that God. The person of that God was born with deity and humanity. Therefore, I now make a choice. And that choice is to believe. That choice will change your life. And that choice will bring wonderful Jesus into focus in your life, different than any other focus you've ever had. Now, when you decide to believe in Jesus, it's wonderful, and it's wonderfully hard. It won't be easy. There's a cost to pay. Not only the price that Jesus set on himself to pay the price for sin, but there's also a price when you believe. Oh, it's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful to me. He has forgiven my sin. He lives in my life. He directs my steps. And there's also other things Jesus asks of me. So if I say I'm a believer, something should change. Something in my life should shift. I actually should live differently. I should feel differently. I should have a different perspective on everything, including myself. When it comes to living the life that Jesus has given me, I believe that I move myself over and something begins to happen. He begins to work wonderful things in me, around me, and through me. Isaiah 9 verse 6, a child is born, incarnation. A son is given, that deity. Humanity is birth, deity the Son is given. Jesus marries the two together. And he will be our ruler. 
He will be called, by the way, this is 750 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah's prophesying. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Those five titles right there would be worthy of five great messages because you can follow throughout the scriptures how Jesus is wonderful, he's counselor, he's the mighty God. He's not just a mighty man, he's a mighty God. And he's eternal father, not just father, he's the eternal father. Will be, always will be the father. And he's a prince, prince of peace. Now, we're going to look at the word peace, but I want you to notice in Isaiah 9, 6, we, he is not just called the peace, Jesus, who is peace. He's called the prince, the prince of peace. That is, he's the ruler of that domain. He's the person that rules the domain called peace. He is the lawgiver of peace. He's the, the king of peace. He's the one that brings peace into the world, and he also is the one who legislates how that peace will work. He's the ruler of peace, the prince of peace. That begins with an individual, not with a nation, not with politics. Let's go to the word peace here. Wonderful peace, let me define it for you because if you go to Webster's or some other dictionary, or if you go to the trillion books that's been written about peace, the definitions for peace in the dictionary that the scholars would use or educators would use is not the same as the Bible. And so when you study Bible words, you have to go to the Bible definition first, not to Webster's and other people, because to have peace is not just to have serenity. It's not just to have uh, peace with yourself or peace of mind or, or to have this ability to, and you start reading all the definitions of peace, it misses the actual Bible definition of peace, and without the Bible definition of peace, you can't have what the result or the benefits of this kind of peace actually are. And so you have to first go to the Word and say, okay, he's the Prince of Salom. Now, you might have heard that. It's a Jewish word. It's a Hebrew word, Salom, but this is what it means. Completeness, wholeness, fulfillment, prosperity of soul. Wellness, safety, harmony, blessing, calmness. Where did Salome come from? Completeness, wholeness. All the loose ends are tied together. There's no fragmentation. There's no uh, different pieces of your personality out of whack or your soul out of whack or your emotions out of whack. It's a whole you. Somehow you found a place to put everything into and in that wholeness you find new identity, you find new safety, new harmony. And of course that harmony and everything I'm talking about begins inside you. Peace is not something you feel from the outside. Peace is something that comes from the inside. And if you don't have it on the inside, you can't make it work from the outside. And so if you start bringing in all kinds of things to bring you peace, if I, if I just had, you know, more things to make me happy, happiness and peace are not the same thing. And so you could use uh, anything your body desires, anything your emotions desires, anything your mind desires. If you can bring all these things in and everything would be squeaky clean in your life and, and tie all the loose ends together and say, okay, I now have peace. But what would it take to upset that peace? Anything in you can fragment your entire world. People that have everything sometimes don't have peace. 
People that have all the money, all the stuff, all the relationships, everything you can imagine, and they still have something inside that says, I'm just not feeling what? Whole. There's a fragmented piece out of order. There's something wrong. I don't have wellness of soul. Now, if you go to Google or go to Barnes & Noble or anywhere else and you want to study wellness, you will get into a lot of Eastern meditations, a lot of um, different kinds of eating and thinking and meditating, which none of those things in themselves, except for the Eastern religions that tie it to a particular belief system of another God, you know, you stay away from that. But if it's just eating or meditating or disciplining yourself or, or saying to yourself, I'm a good person and I have a good life and I'm going to think different about myself and I'm going to quit putting myself down and I'm really going to uh, begin to bring peace to my soul, make peace with myself. I'm not going to please other people. I'm, I'm not going to be put into a corner anymore. Well, you can read all all those kind of books. And within those kind of books and writings, everything else, there would be some wisdom. There would be some practical things you should do. But if you do all those things that touch your mind and touch your emotions, and you still don't have a wholeness inside your soul that is not just a piece of what you think, it's a piece of who you are. Who you are. And if you can't find who you are, even your mind can't have enough power to keep you in a state of peace. And so it's a continual reach for peace. Well, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible, when it comes to peace... Now, if I would scoot up to you in a chair and we're in a council situation, I would say, hey, would you like to be well? Well, yeah, of course I'd like to, I'd like to be well. Would you, would you like to be whole? Well, yeah, there's some pieces missing. Okay. W would you like to have a feeling of calmness that you're not striving and fighting and going against the wind all the time and always upset and going off the deep end and angry with people and dealing with resentment and dealing... Would you like to have a season of calmness in your life. Yes, of course I would. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's, it's the simple. Well, tell me. I'll pay you anything to tell me. You don't have to pay me anything to tell you. I don't have to see you for 16 sessions. I don't have to see you for 20 years. I don't have to do a lot of things for you if you would just believe. Is there a God? Yes. Is Jesus that God? Yes. Can I find Jesus? Yes. And if you find Jesus, what happens? Here's what peace is. Peace has come in the person, not an attitude, not positive thinking, not a mental state, not the lack of conflict or not the lack of, not that I have now a new season where there's no storm so I have peace. You don't feel peace. Either you have it or you don't. Peace is not a feeling. Not a feeling. If you're waiting for that feeling, you're going to go in and out of that feeling maybe five times a day. It is not a feeling. Peace is a person. His name is Christ. Peace that Jesus brings to our soul as we make things right with God. Peace with God. 
Now, let's take it one step further. I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus has proven himself to be closer than anybody else. That's for, for sure to be the true God, way, truth, and life. I do believe I could give my life to Jesus because he's the kindest, most remarkable, amazing God that anybody would ever look for. If you had to write out, never knowing anything about theology or religions, just write out the kind of God you like to find, I would imagine you would write a God who was forgiving and loving and gentle and always looking out for me and God who was personal and, and a God who would, would uh, talk with me and help me and a God who would change my life and a, and a God who would, would, I mean, you would write out all these things and you would end up with Jesus. You'd end up with Jesus. And you'd look at him and say, wow, I, I guess... I guess that's really the God I'm looking for, isn't it? I guess it is. I guess he could be classified as the best God anybody could ever find. And he's alive, and he's real. And he brings peace. How? I'm going to give them to you in simple scriptural points so you can think about this. Number one, we're talking about wonderful peace. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm listening. All right. Number one, wonderful peace of reconciliation with God. Wonderful peace is what? Reconciliation with God. Ephesians 2, 14, 15, listen to it. For he himself is our peace. That's what the Bible says. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We have a wall, we have a barrier. We're at war with ourselves, at war with God. The prophets talk about, will you still argue with your maker? How can the clay say to the potter? And why do you strive with your maker? The book of Job is filled with these scriptures about striving and fighting with God and, and all your arguments. And he says, why do you keep striving? Why don't you what? The first step to peace is making peace with God. With God. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Here's a famous and amazing needed revelation of peace. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Some people are looking for the peace of God. I just want to have the peace of God. I want to have the peace I feel. I, I, want, the, I want that peace. You cannot have the peace of until you have the peace with. There is no peace of God until you have the peace with God. And once you make a reconciliation, you have a redeeming moment, you have a revelation moment where you actually surrender your life and your arguments and your doubts and your unbeliefs and your willful way and everything you need to surrender at the cross of Christ to believe in Christ. Once you surrender to Christ and you make peace with God, surrendering your sin, surrendering your past, surrendering your now, making everything under the blood of Jesus, bringing your entire life to Jesus, and you make peace with God, and you take a deep breath and say, my soul feels healed. My soul has been delivered. I have peace with God. Then comes in that mighty feeling called the peace of God. But it starts with with. With. Make peace with God. He loves you with everlasting love. He loves you unconditionally. He will forgive you 
unconditionally, restore you unconditionally. He'll give you a new life. He will do exactly what he has promised. But there comes that point of surrender. Not in your mind, in your heart. Why? Because the person of Christ wants to come in and sit down in your life. And when he sits down in your life, something begins to unravel inside of you. All the hatred you may have had growing up. All the disappointments, all the weird thoughts about yourself, all the things you have done that you would like to change, but you don't know how to change it and you feel so horrible about it. You don't want to talk to anybody. All those things that get all scrambled up inside and then one person tries to put their hand in and solve one thing, but there's 19 more and solve this one, there's 25 more. Jesus is the only mighty God counselor that can come in and solve things all at the same time. He's a genius. He's amazing. He's so smart. He's so good. He's so wise. He loved you so much. He knows exactly where the roots of the thing started. So he doesn't just go to all this. He just slips down to the root and say, Frank, 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 Frank. Let go of this. No, I can't. You Trust me. Let go of it. It's nothing but a disease in your spirit to keep that. Let it go. I don't see how that has. It has everything to do with all this stuff. And if you would let me just clip it at the root, you'll become a brand new person. Can you think of anything more awesome, more wonderful, more incredibly mind-boggling than a person who changes? Transformation. From an angry to, from a resentment to, from an immoral life to, from an inferiority depressed life to, from a person who's abusing themselves with all kinds of ways to abuse yourself to a person who's whole. Only a parent who has had a child who was unwhole that becomes whole, knows the feeling and the relief of seeing somebody embrace wholeness. Or a spouse. Or a friend. Where you, you know there should be an intervention in that life. And you try to set it up, but you can't do it. You don't know how to do it. And maybe they've fallen into some other thing and whatever it might be. And you would give anything just to bring wholeness to their life. Well, Jesus is the person that reconciles people who have a messed up anything and everything. And through a simple act, folks, it is not some kind of rocket science here. It's not some kind of a formula that you can't compute. It's, it's not some kind of a religion that you have to do so many things in order to squeak through the door. It is a very simple thing. Jesus Christ was Born of flesh, but he was the son of God. He lived a life of miracles. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he sent the Holy Spirit to bring into your life the very person of Christ. And when you yield to Jesus by simply saying, I believe in you and I want you and I want to get rid of my past, Jesus come into my life, a miracle takes place. Transformation begins to happen. And all that the world can do, Jesus does. It's a very simple Simple thing. But what about? No what abouts. 
But what happens if I, not if I. But you know, I have so many confusions. Start with one concrete answer. Don't start with questions. Start with faith. Start with Jesus and let him work you through all the stuff. Don't work through all the stuff and add Jesus. Add Jesus and let him work you through the stuff. And if you do that, it's amazing. It's a miracle. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he, he's such an interest to me because he was so full of doubt. He's so much like so many of us. He was so full of doubt, guilt, and worry. He was in the 1500s. He was a, a man that was almost struck by lightning in his 20s. And be, because he was saved from the lightning and, and it so was an encounter of life and death with him, he made a vow. He said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. So he felt he should become a monk. That's the most radical thing he could think of doing. So he did, he became a monk. But as he became a monk, in a monastery at Wittenberg in Germany. He, he learned the state of the church, the state of the priesthood, and all the stuff going on was debauchery and so wrong and so grievous and, and so complicated and so dry and so dead. And he tried everything to make himself right with God and he could never feel right with God. He was a tormented human being. One day he was in his office in his little room in Wittenberg and he was reading the book of Romans and he came across that one little verse in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith, and it exploded at him. Just shall live by faith. I'm justified by faith. I'm not justified by works, by how good or bad I am, by what has happened, by everything I try to do. The, ju the justification of, of a man's life comes by faith, it comes by belief, and then I exchange with Jesus, and Jesus becomes everything I need to become, and I don't have to try to become that. He is that already. He takes on my sin. And, and so as Martin Luther began to compute that, the whole revelation of justification by faith exploded in his spirit, and he laid his life at the altar for the first time. Even though he's a monk, he was unsaved. But the first time, he laid his life at the altar and said, Jesus, come justify me. And he was justified. Wonderful piece number two the wonderful peace of God in life's perplexing circ circumstances, which you and I will experience. Because you find Jesus and you find life and eternity and reconciliation and sins forgiven and a, and a way to become new, it doesn't mean you won't face stuff. It doesn't mean you won't face crisis. It doesn't mean that all of life is just rosy and everything's going to be perfect now. That is not the truth whatsoever. You will live life. The difference is you're living life with Jesus who takes you through the valley of the shadow of death, who takes you through the ship and the storm, who takes you through the gates of hell, who takes you through whatever you're going through. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He's your grace, your strength, your help, your support. He will renew your mind, give you grace to go through. You're never by yourself again, ever. Not in dark, not in light, not in valleys, not in mountain, not in desert, not in crisis, not in mind-boggling weird things that happen. You will never be on your own. Mom leaves you. Dad leaves you. Uncles don't want you. They put you in a foster care system. You don't know where that's going. You don't know where that's going. You don't know about this home. You don't know who... Maybe even it's your parents. You don't even have a clue how to live your life. When everyone else forsakes you, Jesus is still there. 
Then he becomes a father. He becomes a mother. He becomes your brother. He becomes your friend. Philippians 4.7. Philippians 4.7. And the peace, now we have another piece of the puzzle here, people. Romans 5.1 was what? Peace with, everyone say out loud, with. with. Come on, talk to me, with. with. Now, Philippians 4.7 is the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Now listen to this in other translations. Then you will experience God's peace. Now remember, you already have peace of reconciliation. You have peace of surrender. You already have the peace that God has brought you into a salvation experience. You already have that. Philippians is not written to a non-Christian or unbeliever. It's written to a person who is already believing. But he says, the peace of God that you're going to need is very special. Why? It's going to have to surpass your thinking, understanding, reasoning. It's going to have to guard your heart when your heart wants to go the wrong direction and your mind needs a garrison built around it because your mind is being bombarded with all kinds of thoughts that are wrong thoughts. And if you don't have this kind of peace, you will not make it. One translation says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds even when you're in confusion. Message translation. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good. It'll come and settle you down. It's wonderful. What happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life? Worry destroys. The Bible says fear is a tormentor, and fear opens the door for all other tormentors to live in. Fear is a horrible thing to have. Fear that comes in, there can be a thousand different reasons why, but you have to reject that and understand that in Christ, peace surpasses any reasoning, any thinking you have, it goes above it and peace then settles you down to understand what? There is a God. He is a good God. A God who watches over me. And even though man can't figure this out, people cannot give counsel. I think of the Connecticut parents going into Christmas. I can't imagine them answering in their heart, their spirit, their mind, any way to answer this crisis, this horrible thing that has happened to them. And other people, not only in Connecticut, but around the world that have horrible things that happen at the wrong time, they have to live with the memories. How do you answer that? The only way you're going to answer that is go beyond and over what man can tell you and believe that there is a good God God, an awesome God, an eternal God that can work all things after the counsel of his own will and can bring good out of bad. And God is at work. And even though you don't understand it, you trust. You trust. And if you don't trust, well, you can go at me with this and say, fat chance, Frank. Fat chance. You're telling me trust will solve all that? Belief? Lean into God? Yeah, I am. Let me ask you a question. What's the alternative? Alternative is...
anger. This is not fair. This is not right. What kind of a monster God do we have? What kind of a Bible are you talking about? God would allow any of these mudslides and hurricanes and, and uh, on and on and on and on and on. I could, and this horrible thing. We live in a fallen world. We live in a mess of circumstances. We live in an area where the devil is still prince and power of the air. There is still fallen man and weirdness that's going on. There's all these things. You cannot take your man thought, slip it into this man situation, and come out with wisdom that will not cause you to react, get bitter, and get angry, and get confused, or become agnostic, or atheist, or just, I don't give a rip. I would say the better way to go is to throw your hands up to God and say, heal my broken heart, heal my broken spirit. I don't understand, but I need the grace of God to go through this. Lord, you go through the valley of the shadow of death with me. You go through the suffering and the pain. I don't understand like Job didn't understand, but you know what, God? I need grace to live it out. Now that is an alternative. One that I would hope I would choose, and I have chosen. Say, okay, surpass my understanding. Number three, peace. Wonderful peace that keeps our relationship strong. Notice this scripture. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God, now notice now the epistles keep talking about the peace of God. Peace of God. The partnership of peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called into one body. Be thankful. That's a great verse. Listen to it in a better translation. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. In step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate kindness. Why? Because Christ is the ruler of your relationship. Now, the word here, and let the peace of God rule, let the peace of God rule, let the peace of God rule your heart. The word rule there in the Greek is simply the word umpire. And it's taken from the athletic games during those times with the Greek whole culture where the umpire was able to say to that runner who ran against that runner, you were unfair and I'm going to call the race. You don't get the reward. You will have points against you because what you did is you violated this. Even though they didn't see it, I saw it, and I'm afraid you can't have that. The umpire was the god of the game. Whatever he said, as we have nowadays with you know, the bike races, uh, wherever it might be, why do the bikes come to my mind? In any kind of event, the umpire. It always cracks me up when I see the uh, NBA games and I watch basketball and, and the college games. But it's just, it's just so ludicrous to have a little five foot four referee with a whistle and a seven foot guy and that five foot guy, foul. And they go off crazy. They want to do everything. And that ref has ref umpire authority. Keep talking, keep talking, like you did with the Knicks the other night. You're out, you're out, you're out. I was just having the greatest time watching everybody get thrown out of the game. 
the coach, the key player, someone else mouthing off. And then the ref turned around and made some more bad calls against them, I think, just to get back at them. And the coach was there yelling at his ear, and the ref was just looking because it was a bad call. And I know the ref knew it was a bad call, but he was saying to him, I control the game. I control your attitude. If you don't like it, you're going to pay for it. Somehow, but now Jesus is not that kind of a ref. Now, my, my, my illustration is going downhill. <laughs> my point is that Jesus being the umpire of relationships he knows what is fair between you. And if you would back off, let go, let Jesus work it out, instead of retaliate, instead of getting back, instead of, you know, harping on your rights, and this is what has to happen, and this is the way it's going to go, and I've been, you know, taken advantage of, or that person, they never repented of their sin, and now they want me to talk with them, but I'm not going to talk with them, because you need to get rid of all your becauses, and let Jesus be the umpire. And simply say to the person, I'm calm, settled, fine with whatever you want to do. No, you're not. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. You know, the Pac-Man spirit. And they just want to eat you up. You just kind of back off and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. But you're not sorry. Well, I'm as sorry as I can be. I'm sorry that I'm not more sorry, but I'm sorry. Well, I want you to do more. I can do more. I don't know what you want me to do. Well, you know, this is what... You just have to back off and say, Jesus, you're the umpire. Come referee this game instead of you getting into the game. Anybody here need Jesus to referee a few relationships you have right now? Let me see your hands. How many of you need to take off the boxing gloves and get out of the ring? Oh, that's a great illustration right there. All right. Somebody after the first service said to me, wow, that's a great message. Not exactly a Christmas message, but... <laughs> said we were expecting something a little bit more about, you know, kind of a lighter, happier Jesus message. I was stunned. I thought, you don't see powerful preaching like this very often. <laughs> How could you say that? So if you came looking for the happy Jesus, smiley Jesus message, I am so sorry. <laughs> One more point, and you will be four points less than what the first service got. <laughs> Number four, wonderful peace that keeps your heart in troubled times. John 14, 27 Peace is what I leave with you. What a great verse. What a great verse. Jesus said, it is my own peace that I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. Don't be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. I'm leaving you my kind of peace. Wow. Take that. Message translation says, I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you used to be, feeling abandoned. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. 
I'm not leaving you the way you used to be. How many are glad Jesus is not leaving us the way we used to be? Is that not the greatest news ever? I'm not going to leave you the way you used to be. Here's a poem by a woman who suffered a lot. Arthritis and then cancer and then she never had a normal life, not one day of her life. Her name is Annie Johnson Flint. If you want to look her up and read about her, what a marvelous human being. And she had a perspective on troubled times. Her poem, He gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when the labors increase. To add affliction, he adds more mercy. To multiply trials, he simply multiplies his peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has just begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives and he gives and he gives again. Can I hear a huge amen? I want to just end with reading one more thing. It's a wonderful piece, and, and they can't show the slides. This is out of order, but the point would be wonderful piece is sustained as you keep perspective. Let me end with Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace, Isaiah 26.3, whose mind is stayed on you. Perspective. Listen to this 85-year-old woman who had a perspective about life. Came across her classic attitude. Here it is. Here's what she wrote. If you live to be 75 years old, you will live over 657,000 hours. That's almost two-thirds of a million hours that you're going to live. That's too much to be anxious about all the time, so you better learn to stop worrying. That's the advice. Worry is kind of like a rocking chair. It is something you do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So why do you worry? Here's what an 85-year-old woman would say. God, if I had my life to live over, I would relax, ramble around, be sillier, than I had been on this journey. I would take fewer things so seriously. I would take more chances. I'd take more trips, climb more mountains, run more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less prunes. Hallelujah. I would perhaps have some actual troubles, but I'm sure I would have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who have lived sensibly, safely, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments. And if I had it all to do over again, I would have more of those moments. Just moments one after another instead of living so many years in a big chair, acting like all those persons who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, or a parachute. If I had to do it over again, I would simply worry less, laugh more, and pick a lot more daisies. 
how many of you would say, I need to pick a few more flowers? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to pick more flowers. My wife can pick the flowers. But I can safely say, I'm going to stop eating prunes. More ice cream, less prunes. That's the message this morning. Come on. We have a good Jesus who is watching out for us. Come on. He's good. He's awesome. He's marvelous. He's wonderful. Stand to your feet.